I've got a couple of cool stories to share. I'll, I'll give you a little tease. A famous football player laid hands on me last night, and I got an impartation. And for those of you that know that I'm a sports dork, that's a big deal because I got to hear and see the gospel presented in a sports scenario, so that was really cool. I want to get across what is on God's heart. This isn't about me or a service or a deadline or anything like that. The, the topic of my sermon is offenses and shadows. And part of what I wanted to do today was to, to throw out a little commercial, not a commercial of sorts, but to give a little preview of what we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights. What's in my heart is to go over concepts in context with conversation. And we can't do that as much on a Sunday morning. This is a different format. We've got less time. But concepts are anything from specific small ideas put in context when you see the big picture of how they fit in and how they relate to other concepts, which can lead to even bigger concepts. And doing that in a conversational way, because I don't want, um, it's in my heart to help people have conversations about biblical concepts. It's my conviction and my experience that we learn better, we learn very effectively when we practice talking about the things of God. And, and so, Whereas this is more of a didactic format where one person speaks and everybody listens. Wednesday nights are going to be a little bit more conversational. We're going to have time to share. We won't be debating. We won't be getting into arguments. Uh, we will be addressing wrong ideas if they exist. Not in a confrontational way, not in a condescending way, not in a author heavy authoritarian way. But we are going to adhere to scripture. We are going to go after scripture. We are going to talk about scripture. And so... The last week I had a word that I felt like the Father wanted us to get an idea or a picture in mind of going after ideas that are against his knowledge in an aggressive way and to, to be willing to take a thought down the way you would take down an enemy that was threatening you or your family. And so the verse that comes to mind is 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read it real quick out of the Passion Translation. I've fallen in love with the Passion Translation lately. But... Uh, now, please listen, for I need to address an issue. I'm making this personal appeal to you by the gentleness and self-forgetfulness of Christ. I am the one who is humble and timid when face-to-face -face with you, but bold and outspoken when a safe distance away. Now, I plead with you that when I come, don't force me to take a hard line with you, which I'm willing to do by daring to confront those who mistakenly believe that we are living by the standards of the world, not by the Spirit's wisdom and powers, Holy Spirit's wisdom and power. For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you could choose complete obedience. Now, what's fascinating about that verse is the word disobedience comes from, it means contrary by close comparison. It means contrary hearing in in other words, disobedience, which springs from a negative or opposing attitude. The word attitude was once in that scripture, now in this definition. This was the Greek definition. It means the refusal to listen properly. 
The hearing has the attitude of refusing to take heed and therefore is inattentive. In other words, hearing that will not comply. It reflects the attitude that chooses to disobey because of disinterest. And so, a couple of verses, offense can lead to a wrong attitude. And I want to I share a couple of verses about offense. Proverbs 18, 19 says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. If you think about the word offense, offense and offense can become a fence between you and someone else. It can become a fence, a barrier between you and God. A fence serves as a barrier between you and your neighbor. It keeps the world outside of your property. And an offense can become a fence if you don't take authority over it. So the, the, the first key or secret is to have the right attitude. To be teachable, be humble, be willing to be taught and listen. Matthew chapter 11, verse 6 Verse 6, Jesus is preaching, and he said, Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Why would anybody take offense at Jesus? Sweet Jesus. He's our friend. He's so sweet. Jesus was very offensive to a lot of people, even to his disciples sometimes, because he did things in a way that they didn't expect or anticipate or agree with. In John chapter 6, verse 66, catch that, John 666. Right before that, Jesus is conscious that his disciples are grumbling, and he says to them, does this cause you to stumble? As a result, and then in, in verse 66, as a result of this, some hard things that he said, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So the way that we choose to hear will affect the way that we see. In Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said, it is written, that I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And it has to do with that same word, offense. I'm trying to be like Pastor Allen today. I'm using a black notebook with three ring binders. I'm like. <laughs> so I got to tell you what happened Thursday morning. I get a text at 622 in the morning from a friend. And it was an invitation to something that I, before I go there, let me, let me give you also the Greek definition of the word offense. When I was talking about the attitude, that was that word related to disobedience in that scripture. But offense is scandalizo. Sounds like scandal, scandalous. To set a snare, a stumbling block, to hinder right conduct or thinking, thought, to cause to stumble, literally, to fall into a trap. So we've got to be aware of offense. Anything that offends you this is a secret. This is a spiritual hint. This is a hack, if you will, for Gen Z. Anything that's an offense is very likely something set up to deceive you, to cause you to fall into a trap, to cause you to stumble. So anytime you feel an offense rising up, the first thing you need to do is go, God, what is this? Am I, am I offended because of something in my pride, something that I'm misperceiving? Is this, is this touching a negative emotion, something from my past? What is this? But don't give in to the offense. Don't elevate and give the offense authority because it can hinder your ability to hear what God is saying. So, I, so again, an offense is not always something that's just egregious and like overt. Sometimes it's just something that you don't really see right and you just, it can cause you to miss out. Tuesday, Thursday morning, I get this text. Hey, would you and your wife like VIP tickets to Surge Houston? I think that's what it was called, Life Surge or Surge Life. 
And I thought my friend Howard was inviting me to his Saturday event that is held after his business event that I'm going to next weekend, next week. I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. That's so cool. Thank you. Well, I didn't know that he was talking about an event that was yesterday. I was thinking about next Saturday. So Friday night, he texts me. He goes, hey, are you going tomorrow? And I was like, what are you talking about? And I went and looked it up, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And, I, and immediately, I started thinking of ways to get out of it. I started thinking, okay, it's last minute. Surely he doesn't expect me to do, you know, we didn't know the timing. And, um, and I go to my wife, and she goes, this is what the more looks like. I was like, oh, my gosh. Okay. So I'm still thinking. I'm still offended, okay? <laughs> I'm still thinking and looking for ways to get out of this. We, it, it's on a Saturday that I wasn't expecting to give up. It's at 8 o'clock in the morning on the north side of town in a part of town that I never go to, and honestly, it's not the greatest part of town. It's at a place that I've never heard of. It's at a time I didn't prepare, prefer. I thought he was just giving me his tickets because he didn't want to go or couldn't go. We get over there, and the line to get in the parking lot is down the street and around several corners, and we're sitting there for 20 minutes, and we don't move but a couple hundred yards. And I'm thinking, okay, we're out of here. This isn't going to work. There's not going to be any parking. So I text him and said, hey, he called me text him before we get close. I, I text him, and he goes, hey, yeah, we're there too. We're in the same line. I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> I'm thinking at worst we'll go in. If we don't like it, we'll leave, you know, and we'll say we went, and no harm, no foul. I didn't think he was going to be there. And so, and, and then we're sitting in line. All of a sudden, I realize we're almost out of gas in a part of town that you don't want to run out of gas in. There's wild dogs running down the street. I go into the first gas station and I have this feeling like this is not a good place. I walk in and there's just cigarette smell all over the place and gambling machines at the front door. And the, the lady, the cashier is outside her, like it's this big security thing and she's not even like taking care of customers. And I was like, okay, we gotta get out of here. We go across the street to another gas station. Thankfully, I was able to use my credit card at that station, whereas the other one I had to go inside. And I'm like, okay, good. Let's just pump some gas and get out of here. And the gas is going real slow. So after about five gallons, I was like, all right, that's it. We're done. We go get back in that long line, and still, it's, we're not moving. And we finally go and park at Greens Point Mall, where they've got shuttles going back and forth, because that's where they're sending everybody. And we call an Uber, and we get in. And, and then we text our friend, say, hey, we just got an Uber, we're on our way, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, oh, where are you? Well, he was standing right outside our car, and we ended up giving him a ride. When we got in there, you can put up the first picture, Dan. One of the guys that was speaking is a guy named Nick Vujicic. He has no arms or legs, and he loves Jesus, and he's preached to 750 million people so far. One in 10 people on the earth have heard the gospel because of his ministry. And this was, a, this was not just a, uh, a ministry uh, thing. It was, it was, it was a, a kingdom entrepreneurial business. This man blessed me very much just hearing his testimony. And I encourage you to go look him up online and, and listen to the message that God's given him. Um, let's go to the next picture. I don't know if you know who that is, but that's Willie Robertson from Duck Dynasty. When, we, when I was looking at the program, I thought, my friend said you got VIP tickets, and there's four different grades of tickets. They go in from $100 to $500 a ticket. And 
I didn't think that we were on the tickets, the, the nicest ones where we'd get to meet him. And my daughter goes, you're going to get to meet Willie. And I was like, no, there's no way. We got to meet Willie. <laughs> and I said, my daughter said I was going to get to meet you. And then the third picture, this is the famous football player. Y'all might know him, Tim Tebow. He laid hands on me, put his arm around me. I'm going to share a cool story about him in just a minute. But the point is, I had no anticipation of what God had had in store for me. I would have never paid the money or gone and attended the event on my own. I couldn't have, to be honest. And he had paid for several other people. It wasn't just us. There was a handful of people that he had brought. And the, um, the answers that we got and some of the infilling that we got that day were just, uh, there, were, there were answers from heaven. But my point is, I was stumbling and looking at this in a, like, this is, I had every reason to not want to go, to want to back out, to want to leave early, to not want to receive. I'm not a sports fan. I don't really care about seeing football players. When Tim Tebow started preaching, his speaker was really loud, and it was hurting my ears so much. And, but the point is, like, the people that God used these people to draw a crowd of about 4,000, 4,500 people. And the people that were not big names were the ones that really spoke to me, that I really got some interesting impartation from. I was very blessed. But again, if I hadn't gotten past my offense, I would have missed out. I was thinking, I got to get ready for my sermon tomorrow. I can't spend all day over there. I mean, this is just, this isn't going to work. And it turned out to be an incredible blessing that I was not expecting. I ended up sitting next to a man that knew Easy and Lena and is a very respected man in the full gospel community. And I was just like, this, what a, this is like a treasure hunt all day long. Offenses and shadows can, offenses are things that we misinterpret. We have a, a negative perspective about Shadows are things that we can just miss out on altogether because we don't know that there's a deeper reality that God is inviting us to lean into. One of the things that touched me, one that uh, Nick Vujicic said was that God loves everybody, but he doesn't love every idea. And so whereas God loves everybody, he's willing to oppose the ideas that he hates especially the ideas that exalt themselves against the knowledge of him. And so what we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights is going after wrong ideas that oppose the knowledge of God and pursuing understanding of basic concepts and figuring out ways to put them together to understand the bigger picture. This next picture that Dan's going to put up is, if, I want to see if anybody can guess what it is, but anybody know what that's a map of? What'd you say? You thought it was a face? Very good. See, this is what it's going to be like. We're going to be talking, dialogue, interact. I was trying to make it inconspicuous, but uh, go ahead and open it up, Dan, and show what the next thing is. That's a outline of my face in 1983 when I was seven or eight years old. Go to the big one. but it was drawn off of a shadow. It's not me, but it represented me. It pointed to a greater reality. It's an image, it's a picture that's saying there's something bigger 
that's making this image, that's not the reality to fall in love with. That's not the reality that's the ultimate big deal, but it's pointing to something, a greater reality. I had one other fun picture that I thought we'd pull up. So these are some dots. See if, you, see if anybody can tell me what these dots are. Anybody recognize what that is? Who said that? Who said nostrils? Claire. Yes. Go to the next picture, Dan. That's me in 1990, about two months before I made Jesus the Lord of my life. But it's made up of black and white dots. And, and I was looking for an image that to, I wanted to make the point that when we connect concepts, it's like connecting the dots. And when we understand the correlation, the relationship of those dots to one another, we start to see bigger and bigger pictures, which help us to enter into bigger and bigger realities and understanding of who God is. The hard thing about shadows is that they're subject to our interpretation. It requires that attitude of humility, teachability, vulnerability, which is part of the reason for the format on Wednesday nights will be different, so that we can start to get better perspectives on who God is, what he's actually saying, what that means to us, and who we are in relation to all of that. So a couple of verses on shadows. Acts chapter 14 has one of my favorite verses. Acts 14, 17 says that God has not left himself without witness. That means he's not left himself without evidence or testimony of who he is. For those of you that are familiar with missionary um, culture and strategy, missionaries have figured out that every single culture, all every culture on the planet, even the ones that have not been reached yet, every time they penetrate a new culture, there is some tradition, there's some story, there's some legend that's been passed down for hundreds of thousands of years that correlates with the gospel. And so all they need to do is penetrate that, that people group, build relationships, earn the right to speak. And God always opens a door to share the gospel in a way that they can understand. But it doesn't work when they try to come in and enforce their culture and their ways on them. They have to go and become one of them. They have to become like them. I didn't say yes to go to Saturday because I understood what it was. I, didn't, I said yes because of the person that invited me. And so it's the same way with the gospel and, and understanding. is we, we, it's, That's an example for us as we witness. Your relationship with people can be the bridge that allows them to say yes. There was this one of the guys that spoke. He was sharing his testimony about how he came to know the Lord. He said one of his coworkers called him up and said, I want you to go to church with me Sunday. And the guy's like, I only go to church for weddings and funerals. I haven't been to church in a long time, and I ain't going to church with you. And his friend said, okay, all right, but here's the deal. I'm going to invite you to church every week until you say yes. And he was like, I might as well get it over with. And he went to church. God blasted him. Three months later, he got born again, and he's a totally transformed man. So same thing with Jesus inviting us into greater understanding of who he is. Because of who he is, we need to say yes and be willing to take that teaching, learning journey before we understand the things that may look offensive and scary. I was having a conversation with Alicia and, and, and Dan, and Alicia said something that really I, I loved. I said, I'm going to use that. And she said, they have a Bible study, and they strategically and intentionally don't focus on the Old Testament right now because there's some things in there that don't make sense if you don't have the full context. And Alicia said something that I love. She said, we don't, you know, God looks bipolar if you don't understand who he is. If you, you can go pick out, I can show you in the Bible where it says there is no God. 
I can show you in the Bible where it says, eat my flesh. I can show you in the Bible where it says, God gives and God takes away. Everything in the Bible is true, but it's not all truth. And you got to understand what God is saying to whom and how and why he's saying it in order to understand who he is and not get a wrong impression and a wrong response and allow the enemy to set up a stronghold that you now stumble over. And so shadows, uh, just a couple of things. Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the disciples stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some sided with the apostles. You know, the thing, the same thing that I'm talking about doing on Wednesday nights, we're already kind of doing with our youth. We want to give them an understanding of God's word that is holistic and approachable and useful that they can apply and lean into on a daily basis. And so as a starting point, understanding what this big book is, it's a message from an invisible God to us explaining how much he loves us, why he created us, and what he's doing to restore the relationship that was lost so long ago. That's it at a very high level. The bad news about this is there's so much detail, you're never going to learn it all. The good news about this is there's so much detail, you're never going to learn it all. It does not require you to be a scholar or an expert. The relationship with Jesus does not require knowledge of all those details. It requires a belief in the words that he says that I'm the way to the Father. And if you'll believe that and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. The man on the cross who died next to Jesus didn't get to work out his salvation and study all the things that we have the privilege of looking into just because where we are in time with, with history and, and information. But he received salvation on the cross. So th- this, this is a journey. This is not about arriving somewhere. This is not about honoring or worshiping people or, or elevating anybody into a place of more importance than God's word and who God is. But it was the shadows... A couple more verses on shadows are from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. If you don't understand what the law means and why it was given, you won't enjoy that verse. It doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. It doesn't mean God won't be real in your life. It doesn't mean you won't see miracles. It doesn't mean that you won't be loved. It doesn't mean you won't be able to experience his presence. But it, it does mean that there's a deep, deep treasure that he wants to give to you. It's awaiting for you. And it comes with understanding that shadow. Hebrews 8, verse 5 says, I'm, I'm actually verse 4. No, I'm sorry. Verse 3. Here we go. 3 to 5. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. If you don't know what a priest is or what they do, that verse doesn't mean anything. And so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. But if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. There's that word, the law again. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So 
God was giving Moses something in the natural that was going to point like that shadow to a bigger reality, and he needed to pay attention and understand the details so that he could represent the shadows, the ultimate realities, with accuracy. And then Colossians 2, verse 17, or 16 and 17, Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. Those were part of the law and the Jewish culture and tradition, and they have incredible meaning to us as believers. But they became a point of contention and religious divide. I'm going to finish in the next five minutes. I know we're a few minutes over. But he says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So if you already have Christ, then this is just unwrapping more presents to find out what you really got. Let me say it this way. There are a lot of concepts that sound like religious words if you don't know what they mean. Sin, salvation, baptism, uh, communion, forgiveness of sins, forgiving others of sins, born again, kingdom of God. There are so many different things. Worship. What is worship? Gathering of the saints. That they make sense in the English language, but they don't have a deep, cognitive, tangible meaning that you could explain to a child without chewing on them and talking about them. But at all times, the cool thing about God is he's always speaking. He's always got something to say to us. And one of the other things that was said at this event was that God doesn't put things in your hand. He puts things within hand's reach so that you have the opportunity and the choice to reach out and grab what he has. And you have to make that choice because he's not going to force it on you. So here's my Tim Tebow story. This is, this is my sports story. This is cool. You can, you can find this online, but he didn't do a good enough. He, didn't, he did a way better job telling it yesterday. Tim Tebow, famous football player, retired, one of the youngest Heisman uh, Award winners. Started, his, his, his teammates started putting silly things under their eyes for their, their uh, whatever that sunblock stuff is. Like their area code and whatnot and, and just silly things. And he thought, what can I put on there that would be really meaningful? And he's like, you know, God bless. And he's like, oh, that's cheesy, you know. He came up, Philippians 4.13, that's a really good football player's verse right there. And so he started having Philippians, Phil 4.13. He had a friend of his whose name was Phil and came up to him and said, did you put that on there because of me? He's like, bro, it's a Bible verse. What do you think 4.13 stands for? He didn't think about what, what was happening, but over time, over the next few weeks, it became a phenomenon. They started selling merchandise with Phil 4.13 on there. and People didn't even know what Phil 4.13 meant. And so he was running out. And, and right the game before this big game, he had this, he had this feeling like, you need to change it. You need to pick a different verse. And so he's, he's like, okay, Lord, he started praying about it. He was like, had several weeks to pray about it. And he felt like John 3.16 was the verse that God put on his heart. And he went and told his coach, and his coach didn't like change. He's like, man, Phil 14 is what got us here. We can't be making changes now. I'm totally paraphrasing. But after he explained to him what was going on, he said, okay, that, that makes sense. Let's go with it. He switches it to John 3.16. They win the championship game. Two days later, they're having dinner at a restaurant. His coach and his family. His coach gets a call from the PR person. And his coach is like, what? No way. That's crazy. Are you sure? Okay. Hangs up the phone. What was that about? During the game, there were 94 million searches on Google for John 3.16. 
God used a football game to proclaim his fame. What was fascinating was three years later on the same day, they won another championship. And by this time, he wasn't doing the John 3.16 thing anymore. He had forgotten about it. They had won. He was getting ready to go into the press box to talk to the media. And the PR guy comes up to him and goes, do you realize what just happened? He goes, yeah, we just won. He goes, no, Tim, do you realize what just happened? No, I don't. <laughs> Three years to the day, they went into overtime in this game. And it was the shortest overtime win in the history of, I don't know if he was at the pro level or what at that time, but I think he was pro at that time. So it was because of going into overtime, what I'm about to tell you happened. He threw for 316 yards. His yards per rush were 31.6. I mean, it's 3.16. His yards per completion were 31.6. His time of possession was 31.06. The ratings for the night were 31.6. And 90 million people Googled John 3.16 that night. It was the number one thing on social media that night. And he was humbled. And he said, God, I didn't know that you were doing anything. I didn't know that you were up to anything. And he was convicted. And it just spoke to me that that's what we're talking about, that God is up to things and speaking even when we don't know it. And his security and his identity is not diminished when we don't pay attention. We're the ones that miss out. And so it's not, he doesn't, he doesn't have a, a need for us to pay attention to him. He's speaking because he loves us. But we have to be the ones to say, I'm going to tune into what you have to say, God. I'm going to be teachable. If something freaks me out or looks scary, I'll be honest, I didn't read the book of Job for years because the way it was always explained to me didn't mesh with the rest of the Bible as I knew it. And I had to, it, I really did not like the book of Job. And I, I don't like, but still to this day, because of the way that people misuse it. But the point is, God is the same God that he was back then. And one thing that I learned from my father is it's really easy to get into a place of judgment and separation relationally. And by not understanding what a person is really doing and what they're really saying. My dad couldn't share so much of his life with me because of the trauma that he experienced as a child and in the Vietnam War. And it wasn't until the final months of his life that I really got to know my dad. And so that story speaks to me on a regular basis. And that's what I wanted. That's what I feel a desire to do. We're not going to do a curriculum on Wednesday nights. We're going to have a conversation. And it's going to it's going to involve all of us, and it's going to, there's going to be repetition and review so that we can practice getting things down and getting comfortable talking about things because the ultimate goal is to take the concepts of God, get the big picture of him, and learn and be able to have conversations with others on an easy basis so that they can taste and see how good the Lord is to them. Y'all stand up. And this is something that used to offend me and I thought was a cheesy trick of public speakers. But I just want you to repeat after me because I believe there's something when we stand and I believe there's something when we speak with our mouths. Now, I'm not putting a gun to your head, so if you don't agree with what I'm saying, don't do it. But um, let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word.
We thank you for your son and your presence. We receive all that you've done here today. We say yes to what you want to do, to the things that you've spoken today. And we receive it by faith. Lord, help us to receive and to enter in to all that you have for us. Be the Lord over every area and every thought in Jesus' name. And like Mary said, let it be done unto us according to your word. And the word became flesh. In Jesus' name, amen.